Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia, including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Because He Said So, recorded on October 21st, 2018, at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. I wanted to give us a little bit of background on the baptism of Jesus. Um, John the Baptist and Jesus are actually related. Um, Jesus' mother Mary and John's mother Elizabeth were relatives, and so therefore Jesus and John are related. Um, John's an interesting guy, kind of one of my favorite guys from the Bible. He's a bit of a hippie. He uh, lives in the desert. He's dressed in clothing made from camel hair. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to feed or touch a camel. It's like... I can imagine that the clothes are like steel wool, you know, real coarse and everything. And he subsists on a diet of locusts and honey. And I thought this was interesting until I read in Leviticus 11.22, it says, Of these you may eat any kind of locust, katydid, cricket, or grasshopper. So actually locusts are kosher. The Jews are allowed to eat them. In fact, in this day... Um, Jews actually still eat locusts in modern times. In 2013 in Israel, there was a huge um, invasion of locusts. Every once in a while, you'll see them on the news, these big, huge swarms. In fact, some of them can be so massive that it makes it look as though the sky is dark because of the amounts of, of them. And they will go into a field, and within a minute, they will, they will basically um, devour any green that's in the fields. And so I guess if the locusts eat your food, you eat locusts as food. A um, couple of ways that they have prepared locusts, they've dipped them in chocolate. Some of them eat them breaded, and some of them eat them deep fried, which just goes to show you that anything is edible as long as it's deep fried. Now, before we get into um, the actual baptism of Jesus, I want us to look at some of the different kinds of baptisms that the, that the Word of God talks about, because I think it can be confusing if we read the word baptism in other areas of the Bible, but it's not always consistent if it's not talking about the same kind of baptism. The Bible speaks of seven different kinds of baptisms, and so I just want to briefly go over those with you. Now, the first one is the baptism of Moses. And this actually speaks of their exodus through the waters of the Red Sea when, they were, when God delivered them through Moses from Egypt, from their bondage in Egypt, and then they were being led into their promised land. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses t- um, 1 and 2, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The second kind of baptism that the Bible refers to is the baptism of sufferings or the baptism of the cross. Now, when Jesus was meeting with his disciples and he was kind of foreshadowing some of the events that were going to go on, um, he was basically telling them what was going to happen to them. And and they they were saying, well, whatever you're going to do, Christ, that's what we're going to do. And so in Mark chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I was baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. 
And we know that this was then kind of a, a baptism of pain and shame, that which identified the disciples with the death of Christ. And if you read throughout history, you'll actually see that many of the, the disciples were, were crucified as Christ was. Some of them actually chose to be crucified in a different way. Some of them chose to be crucified upside down so that they wouldn't actually be crucified in the same way that Christ was. The next baptism is the baptism that we're actually going to be reading about today, which is the baptism of John, which is a water baptism. Now, this was a a preparation for Christ. We know that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one sent in advance in order to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. So his baptism was one of repentance and confessions of sins. In Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were baptizing, were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, the fourth baptism that we read about in the Bible is the baptism of fire. Now, this is referring to Christ's judgment, Christ's up, up and coming judgment on those who do not know God. And in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, John the Baptist is actually speaking here. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he's speaking of Jesus, of course. He says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this fire that he's speaking of here is that fire of judgment. And in this actual same bit of scripture here, he speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this baptism is a baptism of God's approval upon those that receive this kind of baptism. We see this also at Pentecost when Peter is preaching and the Holy Spirit goes out to all of those. And this is actually a baptism that was a fulfillment of what Joel the prophet said in Joel 2.28, where he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And basically, with this baptism, there's no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile. The Holy Spirit is being poured out upon all flesh. And we read about this in Matthew 3.11. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the sixth kind of baptism is the... Um, the baptism in the name of Jesus. And it's actually the one that we celebrate um, this in this day and age. In fact, we had our own baptism here a couple of months back. This is the baptism with water. And it is a baptism of public declaration of that spiritual change, that spiritual immersion of death to life. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And also in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And so we know that that baptism is that symbolic. We go down, we're under the water, and it's as though in that state we're identifying with the death and the burial of Jesus. And then as we come up out of the water, it is that resurrection that we identify, that freedom from our sins. 
Now, the last baptism that we're going to um, go over is actually the, the message today. It's the baptism of Jesus. And this one is actually kind of a dual baptism specifically because it relates to Jesus. It's one of water because it's John's baptism, but it's also one of the Holy Spirit. And really, this baptism of Jesus is Christ showing his obedience to God. Uh, Matthew 3.13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So in all of the cases of the baptisms that we've been looking at, baptism represents a process of change. The Greek word is baptizdo, and it actually literally means to dip or to immerse. And so that's why we here, we, we believe that some, some denominations, they sprinkle with water. And, um, but the, the real Greek word is to immerse. It means to be fully encompassed. And that's more, of a, that's more of a better translation in the symbolism of which we believe in is because it's not just part of us that's being baptized, but it is, an, it is our entire being that is being encompassed and transformed by this process. So whether it's that mosaic um, baptism from bondage to freedom or John's baptism where um, they were hiding and denying their sins and now they're repenting and then they're confessing of their sins or whether it's Jesus baptism where he's going to go from humanity to deity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Baptism is just this process of change. Now, it's interesting before we get into our scripture today. Um, Sean talked about Jesus when he was a young boy, when he was 12 years old and he was in the temple. What's interesting is the Bible actually jumps from Jesus at age 12 now to Jesus at age 30. There's no other recorded accounts of what Jesus did during that time. And so we know from Mark chapter 6, verse 3, which is a, a passage of scripture where Jesus is coming back into his hometown and some of his, his um, neighbors recognize him and they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? So what we can gather from this scripture here is that from that time when Jesus was a young man into his adult life, he basically was just a regular person going about his regular life, working as a carpenter. We might be able to infer, I'm speculating, that maybe Joseph had died because Jesus is referred here to by his mother and not by as the son of Joseph. And so we know that Jesus was just a regular kind of Joe. And that's why this is going to be all the more incredible, the events that are going to take place that are going to catapult Jesus from this human living into this amazing ministry that he's going to have. And also, it's not only amazing because it was Jesus, but it is amazing because that potential lives within each and every one of us right now. So Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he wants to be baptized. But John does an odd thing and he he tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized. Let's go ahead and read that scripture. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So 
Why did John argue with Jesus about Jesus being baptized? Well, you see, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance and of confessions of sin. And John immediately recognized, he's like, hey, you're, you're sinless. You, there, you don't need to repent. You don't need to confess your sins. There's nothing. This is not appropriate for you to do this. And yet Jesus insisted and he says, um, Jesus says, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus insisted and this is actually gets into the, the title of our sermon. So, so John says, well, why do you want to be baptized? And Jesus says, because he said so. Because God said so. And um, Jesus was obedient unto God. He said it is fitting. And that word fitting means it is appropriate and necessary in order to fulfill all righteousness. You see, even though Jesus didn't have the requirement or the need because he was sinless, he identified with humanity in such a way that he knew that that was an ordinance for them. That was a command for them to be baptized, to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And we know that when Jesus came down from heaven, he set aside his, his, his godly garments and he took, up, he took upon himself the humble cloak of humanity. And so this is another way in which we see Jesus humbling to walk through every ounce of what it meant to identify with us. We're going to see that later on in Jesus' ministry when he's sitting around the table with his disciples and then he puts on an apron and he gets some water and he begins to wash their feet. They all saw that as something very much beneath Jesus station but Jesus was trying to be an example not only in his life but also in his ministry he said really if you're truly going to follow me then you need to understand what it means to serve and so this is another example of what it means for Jesus to join and to identify fully with us now the baptism of Jesus other preachers have also called this the coronation of Jesus because we know that Jesus is the soon and coming king and this was the place where uh, Jesus was, was first kind of crowned as king. And we're going to get into the significance of this. Now, we quickly, we read through this and, you know, it really doesn't, you know, we really don't get up out of our seats and do a, a, a round of applause or a standing ovation. But honestly, this bit of scripture here is pivotal in the Bible. And let me set the scene for you. So we have three events that are happening almost simultaneously when Jesus is baptized. It says the heavens open, the Holy Spirit visibly descended, and God's audible voice is heard. And I can tell you that if any one of those three happened to us, we, that would be a significant event in our lives for the rest of our lives. We would be telling people about that specific thing that happened to us. I heard the audible voice of God. I saw the visible presence of the Holy Spirit. I saw the heavens opened. And so let's get into each one of these um, and kind of tear them down. So the first one is the heavens were open. And in Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 to 51, this is Jesus' account of the very last words that he said before he died on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, 
and the rocks were split. So moments, seconds right before Jesus died, he cries out his last breath. And at the time that he gave up his spirit within the temple, within the Holy of Holies, this thick curtain is ripped from top to bottom. That, that word torn into is the exact same word for the heavens opened. It means that it, it separated, it ripped apart. So this is not just a small little event that's happening. It is an earth shattering thing. In fact, it even says that here, and the earth shook and the rocks split. And so this is not just a little tiny event that's happening. The heavens are opening in such a way. And I can't even imagine what that looks like. We've all seen the clouds that are kind of cool. You know, maybe it's a rainy day. And then all of a sudden you see just a tiny little gap in the clouds and the sun kind of falls through. That's probably a a very insignificant, but maybe a a visual example that we might have. But this one is the heavens opening. And I, I, I don't even know what that would look like. I would love to see that though. The second one is this, the spirit descends, sorry, I lost my notes here. It says this, the spirit descends visibly upon Christ. Now we know that the Holy Spirit is invisible, but at this particular time in history, the Holy Spirit took upon some sort of a visible presence. It says that he alighted upon Jesus like a dove. It doesn't mean that he was a dove. We see in a lot of religious um, clothing and decorations that the picture of a dove, that's just symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But he alighted down this graceful way and he alighted upon Jesus. And this was significant in and of itself because this is the anointing of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. You see, we talked about this baptism of Jesus is kind of a twofold baptism. Number one, it's a baptism of John. He's being baptized in water. He's immersed. And now as he comes up, now it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit is descending upon Jesus. And Jesus is now being anointed. And this is actually to fulfill prophecy that was um, written about in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord." And we see here that with this anointing, this is now Christ's empowerment. Because up until this time, Jesus' job was a carpenter. He simply provided for his family. But now Jesus is entering into his ministry. But Jesus waited. Just like when Jesus ascended, he says, Now go and wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples didn't fully go out into their ministry until they received the clothing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in like, did not start his ministry until he was empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3 verses 34 and 35, we're going to see just what kind of measure of the Holy Spirit Jesus is given. It says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. So Jesus has basically been given this blank check by the Holy Spirit. But He doesn't just go out and do things like, okay, well now that I've got the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna, there's a new sheriff in town and things are gonna change. He does only those things that, that God tells Him to do through the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. This is a marriage of deity to humanity through the agency of the Holy Spirit. 
The third thing that we see here is that God's voice is heard. Now, this is also very significant because it's now been over 400 years in the Bible that God has been silent. We have not heard the voice of God speak to anyone since the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. So now this is another um, corner that's being turned because God is now speaking audibly. And once again, I can't imagine what that sounded like. Maybe just a deep thunder. I guess you could say maybe it was an intelligible kind of thunder that was heard. And so God's voice speaks. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so the last thing that we see is that God is, um, he's affirming number one, that Jesus is his son. There's kinship here. So now throughout Jesus ministry, as he goes around and he, and he, he says in different things as he preaches that he's the son of God. This isn't Jesus making up a story. This is Jesus walking out the truth of a declaration of a title that was given to him by God. And all those present there could bear witness to that. And the second thing that he's doing is, as we said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism of God's approval upon those that receive it. And so Jesus is receiving God's approval because he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then, of course, we, we can see here that this is one of those visible places in scriptures that validates the fact that we believe in the Trinity. We have God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all present and equal in this part of Scripture here. So the baptism of Jesus, as I said, is Jesus utterly submitted to God in humble obedience. And we see this obedience throughout Jesus' life. When Jesus was a boy in the temple, Pastor Sean preached about this a couple of weeks ago. His parents, had um, they're traveling away from Jerusalem and they're in this caravan and they're three days journey. And they say that usually within a caravan, you can cover maybe about 25 miles. So they're about 75 miles away from Jerusalem. And then they were like, I haven't seen Jesus at dinner for the last two nights. Have you guys seen him? Nobody's seen him. So, oh man, so the caravan comes back. They go into the temple and they're asking him, why, why are you here? And Jesus says in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, it says, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And Jesus asks them, he says, why were you searching for me? He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus knew from the very beginning as a young child what it meant to walk in obedience to God. We see Jesus' obedience exercised here with his baptism. We just said he had to insist with John the Baptist, let it be so now, for it is fitting in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knew that even though he didn't have the need, there was no sin to confess, there was no need to repent, that in order for him to identify with humanity, he would take part in this baptism with John. And then finally, at, right before Jesus' death, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the struggle that Jesus has. Once again, and we forget, we just think, oh, well, yeah, Jesus had it easy because he was God. He was fully human, submitted to the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that. It's not like he had these, you know, these powers that came out from his hands and he's like, oh, man, I'm really hungry. And nobody's looking, so he made himself some bread out of thin air. And, you know, ooh, I wonder if he could make peanut butter back then. I always wonder about those things that, you know, he's like, well, you know, I'd really like a soda. Anyway, but um, um, so Jesus knew the things that 
that he could do, but only through the power and the presence and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This is Jesus crying out in his humanity because he is absolutely overwhelmed. In fact, in that same bit of scripture, he's come with a couple of his disciples and he's like, guys, please pray with me. Uh, You don't understand how much I need you right now to keep me company, to pray with me. I am really struggling. And then he goes on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we know that through obedience and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to walk out and to give his life for us. So Jesus, the man needed the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the work of God. And how much more we need the Holy Spirit. So I think what I'm trying to say that if Jesus in his humanity married with deity relied and was so utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit, how much more in our struggles should we also look to the Holy Spirit? And yet a lot of times we're just like, nah, I'll take care of it, God. I'll, I'll feel this one. I'll let you get the next one. I know, I know next week's going to probably be a little bit more rough. We're to be relying upon him on every step of the way. We rely upon ourselves, and guess what? We're going to get our results. If we rely upon God, we're going to get God's results. And that's exactly what we want. So as we conclude today, I want us to look at some reasons as to why it's difficult for us to submit to God in obedience. Um, the first thing that I've come up with, and I'm, and I'm, coming, I'm pulling from my own perspective, my own struggles of, of why I've had trouble submitting to God in obedience. Um, sometimes it's honestly just not convenient. I think often obedience is an option of opportunity. When we have the opportunity, yep, I'll take advantage of that option. Oh, I don't have time. I'm running late as it is right now, God. Sorry, I just don't have time. Sometimes we don't because it's too hard. Sometimes it's very challenging and difficult to be obedient to the things that God has called us to do. Let me give you an example. If you've ever been hurt by someone, you know, it's, and, and we know that the Bible says that we're to walk in forgiveness, we're to forgive one another, and you think about the thought of forgiving that person, you're like, mm, I don't know, I'm just not ready to forgive them yet. Let me give you a little two-step prayer that will help you in that process. Pray to God for the heart to forgive. Because in praying that, you are, you are operating out of obedience. You are acknowledging, God, I know that in order to walk in obedience, I need to forgive. But right now, I'm just going to pray that you would give me the desire to forgive them. And what I mean by that is this. Let me give you a little picture. So we have Johnny and Billy, and, and Johnny hurts Billy and their brothers. And Billy comes running to mom, and he goes, Johnny hurt me. And oh, so she brings Johnny in, and, uh, and she goes, you need to apologize to Billy. I'm sorry. So Billy apologizes, and then Billy looks at um, Johnny, and the mom says, you need to say that, that you forgive him. I forgive you. Well, that's a, real, that's a real authentic kind of exchange there, right? And sometimes I think that that's the way that we feel with God. We feel like God is, is telling us what we're supposed to do when we're not quite ready to do it. And God acknowledges exactly where we are. But God's whole heart for us is that we would be willing to walk in that obedience. And when it comes time, he will allow that forgiveness to come full circle. 
But a lot of it is in the direction in which you're heading. Because when you, when you hold on to that resentment, you are in a completely different direction. You are walking in, in a direction of division. You are walking in a direction of hurt. And you will continue to allow whatever situation comes up to validate that. In fact, you will look at that person and any negative thing that that person does, you'll go, yep, see, I told you. They're, I hate them. And that's a reason why. But if you look at that person with a heart that wants to forgive, you're going to go, man, he's just as human as I am. He's got just all of the same weaknesses and flaws. You will, per, you will paint your perspective completely different if you will seek to be obedient even when it's difficult. Now, the last thing is that we sometimes have a difficulty in submitting our hearts to God in obedience because we haven't yet submitted to Christ's lordship, a lot of us readily want Jesus as our savior. We want to be saved from that horrible destination of hell. And we're like, Jesus is my savior. But we forget that Jesus is supposed to be our Lord. We talked about that the baptism of Jesus was his coronation. His coronation for king. And if you, if you ever read in history about people that... Um, lived in a land that had a king. Guess who was, who was the most powerful that had the ability to have death and life in his hands? It was the king. And we know that God is that, but we don't always live our lives in such a way that we are submitted to God. It's almost like that little kid. You know, I remember um, I'd be playing downstairs and my sister would come down with a message from mom. You need to settle down. Why? Because mom said so. And, you know, I'd be looking at my sister, you're not the boss of me. And I think a lot of us kind of enter our, our Christian walk in that way. We look at the authorities in this world. Well, you're not the boss of me. I'm 65. It's just a suggestion. You know, I can, my speedometer goes to 100 and whatever, you know. And so we need to understand that that little rebellious heart that we cultivate that's the enemy going, yeah, just take a few liberties here and there. It's okay. But God is saying, submit to the authorities that I've established around you because they're for your good. Jesus identified with us so that we can entrust ourselves to him. So to whom or what we submit ourselves, we will ultimately that, that will ultimately have power over us. If we submit ourselves to our will, we get our results. If we submit ourselves to God's will, we get God's results. I'm going to conclude with a story, and then I'm going to have the worship team come up in just a second. I want to share a story about a, a young man who um, was attending a Bible um, study. His name is Logan. And at the Bible study, they talked about hearing the voice of God. And they were saying that we still should be able to hear the voice of God in our lives today. And yet a lot of, a lot of times we don't, we're not really keyed in on that. We're not, we're not tuned into that. There's so much noise and, and distractions in the background that it's, you know, have you ever gone to a place like maybe walked into the forest or like maybe that one time in your house when there's nobody there but you and there's no neighborhood noise and you're like, wow, what is that? Oh yeah. It's silence. And you're just, you're almost amazed when you, when you find yourself in that setting. And God wants us to be able to get ourselves to that place at a regular basis to where we can be able to hear the voice of God. So Logan was really, he was really challenged by this. And he says, I'm going to challenge myself to see if I can hear the voice of God. So he's driving home and he just prays a prayer. He says, God, I want to walk in obedience. I want to be led by your voice, by your spirit. So please speak to me if you, if you want me to do something. 
Well, it wasn't a couple of minutes later, and he's driving home, and he hears, I want you to buy a gallon of milk. He's like, well, I don't know if that's God or not. And then he thought of Eli in the, in the book of Samuel, where Eli hears the voice of God. Well, he doesn't know it's the voice of God. He thinks it's Samuel, so he gets up, and he's like, Samuel, what is it? And Samuel's like, I didn't say anything to you. And then this happens a couple of times. He says, I think it's the voice of God. If God speaks again, then you say, this is your servant. And then he says, you know, basically, what, what is it that you want me to do? And so he's driving along again. He says, go buy a gallon of milk. Okay, I think that's God. So he pulls over to the grocery store. I have nothing to lose. I can always use a gallon of milk. So he gets the milk. He's driving on some more. He hears a voice again. I want you to turn right at 7th Street. Well, that's not on his way home. So he turns right on 7th Street. He's going along a few blocks. Neighborhood's starting to get a little bit sketchy. And so finally he hears a voice, stop. So he stops. He's in this semi-commercial part of town. There's no street lights. All of the houses around there are dark. And he's like, oh man, I don't know what, I don't, well, we'll just see where this goes. So God says, the house on the left there, go knock on the door and give them the milk. And so he's like, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is make it or break it. He goes, I'm either going to wake up someone and make them really mad or we'll see what happens. So he goes up to the door, he knocks on the door doesn't hear anything for a second and then he hears what do you want and before he can turn around and walk back to his car the door opens and he says i have a gallon of milk for you and the guy takes the milk and he disappears into the back bedroom and then the man and his wife and their baby come out and they say we just got done praying we were short on money this month and we didn't have milk for our baby and the lady looks at him. She goes, are you an angel? He says, no, I was just obedient, being obedient to buy a gallon of milk. And he turns around, goes back to his car, tears in his eye, overwhelmed by the fact that God connected those two dots. I'm not saying that that's exactly what can happen to you, but who knows how God can use you if you would seek to be obedient, to seek to listen to the voice of God. Let's have the worship team come on up and I'll go ahead and, and uh, have a closing prayer. Hey, Mark, could I have you come up and be available for prayer too? Lord God, we, we thank you that you still speak through your word. You never stopped speaking through your word. The real question is, are we still listening? Are we still at a place where we can respond to you, where we can hear from you? And Lord God, we do acknowledge that it is challenging at times. It's not convenient. It's, it can be sometimes difficult. But Lord God, as Jesus was our example, and he showed us that there's truly nothing we can do on this earth apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we ask you to become our Savior, to become the Lord of our lives, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and makes his residence within our hearts. And so we now have no excuse. The Holy Spirit is there to lead us, to guide us in all truth, in that fear of the Lord, in that humble submission before our God. So Lord Jesus, if any of us are being challenged in any areas to lay down that last little remnants of, of uh, that rogue spirit, <laughs> that little bit of resistance, Lord, may we, may we lay it down now. Lord, speak to us. Allow us to change the culture of our lives to where 
it doesn't matter if it's convenient or not, Father God. We'll, we'll make it work. We know you'll make it work. Allow us to hear from you. Allow us to be a blessing of obedience to others, Father God. We thank you. We give you the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.